there. Welcome to Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoja podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. And we are a newlywed couple who like to shoot the shit about movies. That we do, that we do. And this week, we have uh, yet another So Bad It's Good movie to talk about. Yeah. This is, I think, uh, a classic So Bad It's Good movie. It's, it's the movie that if you're a So Bad It's Good connoisseur, you have to watch this just for posterity's sake yeah it's definitely one of those movies that it's famous for how bad it is we are talking about of course plan nine from outer space released in 1959 written and directed and edited and produced and basically everything by ed wood yeah the uwe bowl of the past i was gonna say tommy was so but yeah basically same difference <laughs> What a story, Mark. This is definitely his most famous project, or infamous, I should say. But and then in the 60s and 70s, he moved into porn and sexploitation films, which, I mean, seems like a easy enough transition. So, wait, he, he moved into porn and sexploitation? Yes, and lucky for you, Scott, I happen to write down some of the best titles. Do you want to hear some? Oh, damn straight, I want to hear Edward some. Edward Porn titles. Panty Girls. Okay. Wives at Play. Bang, bang. Gross. Two, not T-O-O, T-W-O, Hot to Handle. <laughs> so we had a nice play on words there. Okay. Um, Big John, part one and two. So we have a two-parter there. Big John. And this is my favorite one because it's just so to the point. Sex orgy. <laughs> okay. We love a man who knows what he's talking about. <laughs> so, I mean, Ed Wood was basically kind of just walking around in obscurity for a long time until he was posthumously awarded a Golden Turkey Award for Worst Director of All Time in 1980. This particular film, Plan 9, was deemed the worst film of all time. It kind of shot up as a cult classic in a way. I guess it makes sense while this movie is considered one of the worst because the story is very hard to follow. Nonsensical and confusing, yeah. The- I mean, you thought Theodore X was confusing. <laughs> this is a nightmare. <laughs> the story's hard to follow. Shots are, like, not great. They're editing. There's just random blips in the editing. It- yeah, the, the production design is pretty non-existent, let's put it that way. The acting is pretty Pretty, miserable. Yeah. Like I said, this was written also by Ed Wood in less than two weeks. Oh, boy. (laughs) Surprised it took him that long, quite honestly. Because like you said, it's it's the most nonsensical, weird fucking story. He establishes things, and then like in the next scene, he says the opposite. Especially the aliens in this. The aliens in this tend to go back and forth from what they really want. Yeah, we'll we'll get there, don't don't you worry. But um the story of Ed Wood was famously depicted in the movie Ed Wood, directed by Tim Burton, starring Johnny Depp. What kind of a movie is this? It's science fiction. A heartbreaking romance. Brave robbers from outer space. Brave robbers from what? Ed Wood seems very similar to a Tommy Wiseau or an Uwe Boll, kind of like this incompetent filmmaker who really doesn't know what they're doing, but just has weird 
insatiable drive to make these movies. Well, but the thing about him that I think that makes him closer to Wiseau than to Bowl is Bowl seems just to do it because he can. Wiseau at least wanted to make a good movie. I don't think Edward is trying to make a bad movie. I think he's trying to have fun. But I think it's a sad twist on the story because he really didn't have any fame while he was alive. All of his real cult following came after he passed away in 78. Ain't that a bitch. But he was quoted as saying that this film, Plan 9 from Outer Space, was his pride and joy. So with that said, how did you feel overall about watching this movie, Scott? Um, there are parts of it that are very slow. But there are parts of it that are very fun, because it's so bad. I enjoyed it, for the most part. I'm glad I finally saw it. That's the other thing about So Bad It's Good Movies from the past, compared to So Bad It's Good Movies now, is now they're trying to be this. They're trying to get to Plan 9 fame. Yeah, you have, like, the Sharknados of the world that are trying to purposely be bad. This summer, get ready for a new chapter in the greatest cinematic franchise of all time. Go, 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 go! Run away from the Sharknado! Well, I actually wanted to ask you one more question before we get into... Sure. When did you discover this movie? I feel like this is something we should do now. Oh, oh, okay. I'll tell you this story. So, I discovered this movie having a bad movie night with... My bestest friend, Carolina Swift, who has been on the podcast before. She was on our Star Wars A New Hope episode. We watched this and The Room, strangely enough. That was the first time I had seen The Room as well. That had to have been years and years ago because it was when Carolina was still living here in the States. And I remember being bored, but also very befuddled. That's why I say it's kind of a rite of passage for a bad movie lover. It's not the easiest movie to get through. It's not like you're yuck yucking the whole way through like the room. So, uh, without further ado, let's, yes. let's get into this. <laughs> let's try. Let's try our damnedest. Yes. Also, hi, Carolina, since we mentioned you earlier. Hi, Carolina. I miss you. So, we start off with a narrator. By the way, this movie... We watched it on Amazon Prime, and we watched it in black and white. They have the colorized version as well, but I opted to watch the black and white because that's how I watched it, and that's how it was originally shown, so I was like, let's do the black and white. What, there are times where, like, color would make sense. I don't know if color makes sense here. I mean, I don't think it would really add anything. Like, when we had the discussion about Bonnie and Clyde, black and white versus color. Right. We, we start off with our narrator who just goes by one name, like Cher. His name is Criswell. He was a very flamboyant, wildly inaccurate psychic from the 50s <laughs> who had like a TV show back then. And he was friends with Ed Wood, so he wanted him in the movie. And he wrote all of the narration for himself because he deemed Wood's narration, quote-unquote, too boring. <laughs> I'm sure it was, considering the rest of the dialogue, which was written by Wood, was actually very boring. But the narration that Criswell does... Is so crazy and it's weird. It's very over the top. You are interested in the unknown, the mysterious, the unexplainable, 
That is why you are here. And now for the first time, we are bringing to you the full story of what happened on that fateful day. He basically says that the following thing that we're about to watch is evidence of this terrifying ordeal that's happened. Yeah, he's trying to set up this whole thing that this is a thing that actually happened, kind of. <laughs> Maybe, kind of, who knows. So then we cut to a bunch of people standing around in an open grave, and it's a funeral for an old man's wife. Now, the old man is played by Bella Lugosi. Now, if you young whippersnappers don't know who Bella Lugosi is, he is a quite infamous character himself. He played Dracula in the 1931 film. He did? Quite famous at, the, at, the, at this time. He's the one who made famous how Dracula moves and looks. and That's, that's Bella Lugosi. Right. And there's a, a whole backstory behind his involvement in this movie. So, Edward filmed some random scenes with Bela Lugosi to be in a couple of other of his projects. But then, unfortunately, in 1956, Bela Lugosi passed away. So, Edward was kind of left with all this random footage of Bela Lugosi that was unused. And he was making this movie. So he's like, I'm gonna take all this footage <laughs> and I'm gonna fucking Frankenstein it into this movie so this can be Bela Lugosi's last movie. Basically for the purpose of trying to get other like decent actors to be in the movie. That's how he was like marketing it as Bela Lugosi's last film. It's kind of gross when you think about it. It's kind of like taking advantage of a dead man. But in his mind... He was paying tribute to a fine actor and someone who was his friend. Yeah, exactly. Which, it's not the last time it's been done, and it probably won't be the last time somebody does that. Oh, yes. If it was done today, they would have had a stand-in and, like, CGI'd over his face. It's been a long day without you, my friend. And I'll tell you all about it when I see you again. Actually, speaking of stand-ins, when Edwin was trying to piece together the footage and make it fit with Plan 9, he used a stand-in who happened to be his wife's chiropractor or something. Because they're, okay, the whole thing with Bela Lugosi as Dracula was that he, you know, he has, like, the big cape and, you know, he drapes it over his face and has the ha So... There's like one or two scenes with actual Bela Lugosi in a graveyard with the cape and the whole thing. And then pretty much anything other than that is some guy pretending to be Bela Lugosi, but just hiding his face with a big cape. <laughs> so... It, it's it's honestly pretty hysterical. It, and, is, it is kind of funny. The, and it's funny because you can tell the difference because the stand-in guy is at least like three or four inches taller than Bela Lugosi <laughs> as well. So it's, like, pretty obvious. I also think his hair is different. Yeah, it's it's pretty glaringly obvious. It's also very funny because this one shot of Bela Lugosi walking out of these woods into the graveyard, he used it about four times in the movie. <laughs> yeah, they use it multiple times just to squeeze all the juices out of it. So, you know, legendary actor basically made the concept of vampires what they are today 
Bela Lugosi, and this is his last film. <laughs> so... <laughs> That's, isn't that how it always goes? There's like, there are very few people that your last movie you go out on is a great movie. Hell, look at Raul Julia and fucking Street Fighter. I don't even know who that is. <laughs> Raul Julia is like a famous, he's a famous actor. His last role was M. Bison of Street Fighter. Because his kids asked him. These kids were like, hey, can you be in the Street Fighter movie? Aw, that's Sure. So <laughs> and it's horrible. <laughs> I feel like that's always the way that good actors end up in, like, shitty, usually kids' movies. Like, you know, I want to make something for my kids. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's th- like, yeah, okay, but, like, you know, find something quality. <laughs> well, then you got, like, Rodriguez who makes Shark Boy and Lava Girl. Oh, gosh. <laughs> Insert clip here. He ruined my dream! I did not! Mr. Electric, send him to the principal's office and have him expelled! Um, okay, so let's let's really get into this, okay. the actual quote-unquote plot of this. So, like I said, we start with the, the funeral of the old man's wife. And as everyone at the funeral is leaving, we cut to these two grave diggers chatting it up. Really awkwardly and stagnantly. Right next to, like, the funeral. Like, yeah, they're just, they might as well be dangling their feet over the open grave. Like, it's, like, right there. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, can't you guys just go get, like, coffee somewhere and then come back later? Like, Yeah, isn't that, I mean, I don't know, I'm not a grave digger, but I feel like that's the proper respectable protocol. <laughs> yeah. So, after that little scene, we cut to an airplane flying in the sky. And in the cockpit of this plane, there are two pilots, one by the name of Danny, and one by the name of Jeff Trent, who's one of our main characters, played by Mr. Gregory Walcott. And fun fact, according to IMDb, he told Ed Wood, before he reluctantly signed on to this film, that it was the worst script he's ever read. But yet he signed on, so I don't know what the fuck, I I don't know. (laughs) Ed Wood must have had naked pictures of him. I don't know. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's a J.R. Buttface Theodore Rex situation where, like, just, you know, basically holding the proverbial gun to everyone's head. (laughs) These two pilots in this cockpit are shocked and appalled by a flash of light and some jostling about. And they look out the window and they see a UFO. In order to make an alien UFO movie, you have to have some kind of special effects, quote-unquote. Because you gotta have a UFO, right? So Ed Wood just bought a plastic put-it-together kit to make a UFO and just hung it on strings and dangled it over, like, a sheet. (laughs) That was the special effects. Uh, Yeah, honestly, you, you can see the strings. You can't blame the man. He apparently, according to IMDb, had a $60,000 budget. (laughs) So, I mean, what else are you going to (laughs) do? So, yeah, after these two gentlemen pilots see this UFO and they're very scared. Well, well, it's not even that they're scared. They're kind of unfazed, to be honest. (laughs) They're being called on the radio. (laughs) They're not answering at all. They're just like, oh, what is that? The stewardess walks in and is like, Oh, hey guys, what's up? And they're like, look at it. Look at it! Look at it! Look at it! I want all of you to look at it! So then we cut back to the grave diggers in the cemetery. And they've done their duty. They're walking on home in the darkness. And this is where we get our first 
kill of the movie. Although, you don't see anything. Basically, what happens is these grave diggers are walking home and they come across this woman who looks like a zombified vampire. And she's just standing off in the bushes and she looks over at them. And it's like the, the shot is such a long distance away. It's not even scary. It's just like, oh, hello, ma'am. <laughs> and then all of a sudden you hear the gravedigger screaming and the shot fades out. So that's our first kill. <laughs> so our vampire zombie woman, who is on IMDb just credited as Vampire Girl, is played by a Miss, I'm going to say this wrong, so I apologize, Myla Nurmi. She played Vampira in a TV series in the 1950s, so somehow Ed Wood roped her into this too. I think maybe because of Bella Lugosi. I, I assume that had to be I don't know, but um, she apparently was paid $200 for her appearance in this film, and she insisted that the character be mute because she hated the fucking dialogue so much. She's like, can I just not talk? <laughs> Please. <laughs> uh, it, I guess it, it makes sense. The other thing about Vampira is... I guess it had to be a course at the time. Her waist looks so freaking oh, yeah. skinny. Like, her whole stature is very off-putting because her waist is very, very incy-weensy and she's just got this weird look on her face and her arms, they're not like straight out like vamp, like a like zombie. Frankenstein oh. zombie kind of thing. They're just kind of like half out. It's like she's she's trying to be Frankenstein but doesn't give a shit. <laughs> So yeah, so we fade out of that kill scene, and then we cut to an exterior shot of a house, which apparently was one of the other actresses' real-life house that they just used for this movie, and this was an actual scene with Bella. Bella Lugosi walks outside the house, and you hear the narration explaining that this old man is so very, very sad after his wife's death, so he just leaves the house. And he never comes home again. And then Scott's like, huh? And then all of a sudden, you hear a scream. And then they cut to a police car going, wee 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 So apparently, this old man just decided on the day of his wife's funeral to step out in traffic and get railed by a car. <laughs> oh yeah, he got railed all right. Edward knows that firsthand. <laughs> That I was making a porn joke. Oh, because he because he makes porn. That's funny, Scott. He got Scott. That's so funny. He got railed. Jesus uh. Christ. Okay, let's <laughs> let's try to not make a whole lot of porn jokes. Oh, I'm making them all. They're all coming. Ah, because come. Okay, all right, all right. Let's move on. <laughs> Jesus Christ. All right. So after that, we cut to the old man's funeral, and apparently, for reasons unknown to the audience and anyone in the universe, they made it specifically so that the old man was buried in a crypt, and the mourners come out of this crypt. They have to, like, kneel down to get out of the crypt. It basically looks like something you would make at, like, a middle school play. Yeah, it, it, it's like a small little crypt, and they all walk out of it, and I'm looking at it, and I'm like, there's four people that walk out of this crypt. A, it's like a clown car. I'm like, how do you fit four separate people and, hypothetically, Bella Lugosi's body in that crypt? <laughs> so, yeah, the mourners are talking in the most 
stilted dialogue you ever heard. They go, oh, why was his wife buried in the ground and he was buried in a crypt? And he and the guy goes, oh, I don't know, just reasons. Like, it's really, they don't explain it at all. And she's just like, oh, okay. And then they walk away. I'm C-3PO, <laughs> cyborg, relations. <laughs> and as they're walking away, these mourners come upon the dead grave diggers and they scream. And then we get the police coming onto the scene. And we get the introduction of a Mr. Inspector Daniel Clay played by Tor Johnson, who is a staple in Edward movies. And according to IMDb, Tor Johnson's son, who was a cop with San Fernando Police Department, provided him with the police cars and the uniforms for the movie. So, yeah, whatever when, works. When you budget 60 grand. I mean, yeah, you gotta do what you gotta do. So, Tor Johnson comes in here. And he starts talking to the cops. You can't understand almost a word the man says. Oh no, he's got a her. Hush, great voice. I, I looked at Frankie, I'm like, what did he say? And she's like, um... I, I didn't even try. I was like, ah, oh, it's something. It doesn't matter. <laughs> Have one of the boys take the guy and the girl back to town. You take charge. Okay, Inspector. What are you going to do? Look around a little. I will get one of the flashlights from the patrol car. Be careful, Clay. I'm a big boy now, Johnny. So he goes off on his own to investigate. Then we cut to a scene with the pilot, Trent, and his wife, Paula, talking at their home. Out on the lanai. I love a good lanai. Speaking of lanai, I'm going to say the lanai story now. So that just seemed like a really random thing to bring up without context. So the reason that I brought up the lanai, I love the Golden Girls. <laughs> <laughs> oh, really? I never would have guessed. We've used quite a few Golden Girls. I but... <laughs> love the Golden Girls. Thank you for being a friend. Travel down the road and back again. Your heart is true. You're a pal and a confidant. So I love them. And a big part of the set the show was their lanai and that's the only way I know what a lanai is from Golden Girls and then when we got married we went on this little mini moon to Montauk and we stayed in this lovely hotel and it had a lanai <laughs> and I was happier than a pig and shit to eat our food on the lanai and look out at the beautiful beach it was awesome just because of the lanai <laughs> so yeah Trent and his wife Paula are on the lanai and he's telling her about seeing this flying saucer. And he goes, oh, I saw this flying saucer. It was shaped like a cigar. And, <laughs> which it's not, by the way. And the wife goes like, oh, a flying saucer? You mean like from up there? <laughs> <laughs> See, that's funny. Because you're dumb. And it, it's saying something. But the wife might be the worst actress in this movie. I don't even know. It's up there, but she's, she's... I mean, that's a hard category. So, as Trent is telling Paula about the flying saucer, he mentions that he reported it to the army, and they swore him to secrecy. And he just keeps going on and on about, like, I can't even tell anyone that I saw that flying saucer. I can't even admit that it was real. And meanwhile, you're saying it to your wife. But uh, as they're discussing this, there's a sudden whooshing sound. Very scary. As 
you see the flying saucer coming down to land near the graveyard. The, the editing in this is very weird. Like I said, Ed Wood also edited this movie. Like, there's the whooshing sound, and then they cut to the flying saucer, and then you cut back and everybody's lying on the ground, almost looking dead, like just lying there, motionless. And then they just get up, like, after a couple seconds, and they're like, whoa, what was that? Like, it was just weird. Yes, the, the wind from the saucer apparently was so great. <laughs> That it knocked everyone down, including the people on the lanai. Inspector Clay is in the graveyard, skulking around, investigating, and all of a sudden, this uh, vampire girl comes out of the bushes. And I think, I don't know, but I think she's supposed to be the reanimated corpse of the wife. Oh, I'm actually, I, that passed I'm 100% sure on okay. that one. Just making sure. So why is she a vampire? Why does she look like a vampire? I don't know. But <laughs> she comes out of the bushes, and behind Clay, on the other side, comes the old man, clearly the stunt double slash chiropractor, with the fucking cape draped over half of his face. They both kind of come in towards Clay, and Clay tries to shoot both of them, and nothing happens. And... Again, like the grave diggers, they just kind of slowly walk towards him. He screams and then it fades out. Not even like any contact really, like nothing to distinguish how he would be killed by these two people. Because not for nothing, Tor Johnson, he's a hefty man, very burly, okay? And the two assailants that kill this 280-something pound man. Are both like 110 pounds. Soaking wet. <laughs> and they're old, because literally <laughs> the name credited for Bela Lugosi's character is Old Man. So, <laughs> after Tor Johnson is killed, we cut to the other police officers coming to the scene, and the lieutenant is there, and he's like... One thing sure. Inspector Clay's dead murdered and somebody's responsible the dialogue in this is just sterling so now things are getting a little more crazy scott not only do we have one ufo in the sky we now have three bum, bum, bum. <gasps> i mean ed would probably have to pay thirty dollars for <laughs> two more kids <laughs> that poor baby he had to sit there, he's gluing it. It's, it's, it. As he's at his table, he's taking the pieces out of the box, slowly so gluing ridiculous. them together. So, this is where we start to get the government plot. There's a message here that the government is hiding things from us, and we the people should not stand for it. First off, so... These three spacecrafts are flying all over the place, and there's sightings all over the place because they say it in the movie. Yes, there's uh, clear pictures in the newspaper of these UFOs, like clear as a bell. Because this scene goes on forever, this oh, next yeah, scene. it's long and sluggish. And the three UFOs get together in the sky, and this general, they, they introduce Chinese, a uh, colonel. This colonel. Colonel Thomas Edwards who's leading this battalion of shooting missiles at the UFOs. But they introduce him, the narration, as the chief of saucer operations. 
So, obviously, that's the dumbest name ever for a job title. But I digress. If you're a chief officer of saucer operations, that implies that the government who gave you that position believes that flying saucers exist and aliens exist and it's universally accepted. So they proceed to shoot at the UFOs for a good, it has to be three minutes of movie time. These guys have to be the worst. These guys are worse shots than goddamn stormtroopers. <gasps> at least the stormtroopers killed an Ewok. You would think that a scene where the military is bombarding alien spacecrafts with missiles and shit, you'd think that would be exciting. But it's not really. It's just boring. It, it never ends. And then finally the alien saucers start to fly away. Colonel Edwards goes, Oh, the, the government has tried to contact these aliens before and they just never responded and then they annihilated a whole town, but the government covered it up. So, and I'm like, whoa, okay. That was quite a dump of information that somehow made no sense because, first of all, you tried to contact them. That doesn't make sense because later on in the movie, they say the exact opposite, that the aliens tried to contact them and the government didn't respond. Then he says that they annihilated a town and... They just covered it up. How do you how do you do that? <laughs> he he even says. Then they attacked a town, a small town, I'll admit, but nevertheless a town of people, people who died. I would imagine if an alien race wiped a whole town off the map, someone would notice. <laughs> Perhaps someone in the neighboring town, but uh, I don't know. Then the, the peon looks at the colonel and he's like. Well, according to the upper echelon, there's no such thing as flying saucers. Oh, <laughs> more like what? But you're the like you just saucer operations. You just shot at them for three minutes. Like nothing, nothing makes sense. So, literally in the next scene, we get a look inside of the spacecraft. Yes. We meet our aliens, Eros and Tana. At this point, if you're watching this movie, which by the way, it's Everywhere and anywhere you can find it on YouTube, Amazon. It's public domain, so you can find it wherever. But at this point, when you're watching it, you'll probably start feeling like the brain thunderstorm a-coming. It's fine. Just don't even think about it too hard. So our aliens, Eros and Tana, are played by Dudley Manlove, which is the grossest porn name I've ever heard. So, I mean, look out for him at some of... <laughs> Edward's other works. Big Johnson was that it, or Big Big Duke? Big John, part Big, one and two. <laughs> he died at the end of part one and then got revived by a good deep dicking in part two. <laughs> uh, and then Tana is played by Joanna Lee, who actually has a career. Let me explain. Oh shit! Somebody had a career at this. Yes. Well, she has disowned any involvement in this movie. I'm not surprised. Um, but she was primarily a TV writer. She wrote episodes for several television shows that we all know and love, including The Flintstones, Gilligan's Island, I Dream of Jeannie, and The Brady Bunch. The Brady Bunch, The Brady Bunch, that's the way we became The Brady Bunch. So, yeah, I mean, at least she had a career. But yes, yeah, so this is where we get the introduction to 
why this movie is called Plan 9 from Outer Space. The aliens are talking, and they're saying, we must enact Plan 9. Roll credits. We must enact Plan 9 to make contact with the humans. And what is Plan 9, you ask? Plan 9 is... And they, they explain it just like this. There's no further deep dive into the mechanics or logic of this. Plan 9 is resurrecting recently dead humans, scientifically, using, you know, science, in order to kill people. What? What the fuck? Why do you want to kill people? <laughs> you just said you want to make contact with them. The, the motivations of these aliens are constantly changing. One minute they want to help them advanced society one minute they just want to be friends and like sip tea on the lanai i don't know and then one minute they want to kill humanity with a zombie army after that we cut to trent and paula again out of the lanai oh trent is preparing to go away again on another flight he has a very lovey-dovey scene with his wife that Scott found very, uh... It's almost kind of sweet. And then they kiss. And he, like, really goes in for the kiss. Oh, so. yeah. he That's the porn director in him. <laughs> kiss her harder. <laughs> the dialogue between them is... It's very much like how... If you've never seen a movie from the 50s, it's how you would picture people in movies from the 50s talk to each other. Oh, darling, I'll miss you so. I'll lay in the bed at night and cuddle the pillow next to me. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's no. like, oh, my God. Yeah, yeah, she, she, she plainly says, like, I'll, I'll hold the pillow next to me. And I kept feeling like, oh, she's going to do more of that pillow. Hence, porn director. So they give a very passionate kiss goodbye. He wants her to lock herself in the house before he leaves because he's scared that the UFO's gonna come and take her or something. I don't know. So after that, we get the old man, played by not Bella Lugosi, coming out of the crypt with his little cape over his face and stalking over to Trent and Paula's house after Trent left because apparently they live very near the graveyard because that's some great real estate choices there. And at the same time, we have a scene of Trent and Danny flying their next plane to, uh, who cares? But the stewardess is... Oh, yeah, the, like, quintessential 50s stewardess Scott got a kick out of her dialogue. Yeah, because Danny's like, hey, uh, you wanna, you wanna shack up while we're in New Orleans? And she's like, oh, Danny, I can't resist your charms. And I kept going, oh, Danny boy. The pipes, the pipes are calling. From glen to glen and down the mountainside. You realize that's not a sexy song, no, right? it's not. It's a song about a dead child. <laughs> I know. <laughs> How appropriate this movie. <laughs> you think it's sexy, but it's really about a dead kid. Oh, I'm Irish, so I can say that. It's fine. Oh, God. Oh, this just broke me. Oh. Um, <laughs> so... The is basically, after flirting with Danny and saying she's going to go sleep with Danny when they land, she goes and tells Trent to call the tower and basically say, hey, can you call my wife? 
the wife gets a phone call and wakes up in the middle of the night. And the moment she hangs up, Bella Lugosi comes in. He attacks her very slowly. All the spooks in this movie essentially have the same gait. They just kind of lumber very slowly with like a weird look on their faces. So he's just kind of walking very slowly towards her with a cape over his face while she's screaming. She runs out of the house towards the graveyard because when I am looking for safety, I often think, where's the closest graveyard? Well, it was even better because as Bella Lugosi's walking towards her, you can clearly tell the chiropractor can't see what he's doing because he walks into the bed. It almost looks like he's about to fall over, but he stops himself at the last second. So she's running through the graveyard. I think she ends up running into Vampira for a second. Yeah, Vampira shows up. Basically, goes ooga booga, and she runs the other way. And then she falls down, I think, in front of Inspector Clay's grave. And he's buried, of course, he's buried in the cemetery he was killed in. Right. That, yeah, that doesn't seem a poor taste at all. So, <laughs> actually, it's, it is kind of an interesting looking shot where there's just a weird spotlight kind of effect on the grave. And you just see Tor Johnson emerging from the grave. He's having a little trouble. <laughs> he's, not, he's not a young and spry gentleman. So he's, like, really just struggling to get out of that grave. So, and it, like, undercuts the spookiness of it totally. Well, yeah, because you look at it and you have to think, Tor Johnson's not a small man, so he's got to get his whole body weight up three feet to get him out of this grave. And, it, yeah, it, it looks very lumbered. So the wife starts running away from Tor Johnson and is randomly running down the street. And this now nighttime scene looks very much like it's daytime. Yeah. Um. <laughs> I mean, that's the magic of shooting in black and white. You don't have to worry about daytime, nighttime. It's all black and white. It's all black and white. She falls over and basically falls unconscious. And this random guy goes, Ah, Mrs. Uh, uh, what's her last Trent. Name? Yeah, what's his last name? Trent. I thought that was his first name. No, that's his last name. Wait, what's his first Jeff. name? Jeff. <laughs> okay. Jeff Trent. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> I should have just did like a who's on first name just now. What's his first name? Who? Who's on first? What's on second? I don't know who's on third. Do you know the fellow's name? Yes. Well, then who's playing first? Yes. I mean, the fellow's name on first base. Who? The fellow playing first base for St. Louis. Who? The guy on first base. Who is on first? Well, what are you asking me for? If you anyway. say who one more time. <laughs> anyway. So, so Mrs. Trent gets pulled up on from a random farmer who's like, Mrs. Trent, Mrs. Trent. Are you okay? He turns around, sees Bella Lugosi in the same shot of him coming out of the woods, and he just like picks up Mrs. Trent, throws her in the car, and he finally starts the car and drives away. So next we cut to a scene with the lieutenant and another cop just chit-chatting. Basically in this scene, the cops figure out that Inspector Clay's grave is empty. They're like, Oh, this grave looks familiar, but I can't place it. I'm like, this man died a couple days ago before <laughs> yeah. here. He supposedly died, like, what, yesterday? Uh, you don't remember being there yesterday? Okay. So he's like, well, we gotta figure out whose grave this is. So, uh, hop on down there. So the guy's like... Oh, God, this is so stupid. <laughs> the guy's like... Scared? Well, why do I get hooked up with these spook details? Monsters, graves, bodies... 
Oh, all right. So he hops down there, and it's Inspector Clay's grave. And there's nobody in it. <gasps> so next scene we cut to is the Pentagon, because this is a, a political thriller we're watching. We get a Mr. General Roberts talking to our Colonel of Saucer... Ness, I don't know. What's fucking, what do they call it? <laughs> the, the, uh, of Saucer Operations. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Chief of Saucer Operations, uh, Colonel Edwards. And he's saying that he'll be court-martialed because he's talking about aliens existing. But meanwhile, his job title is Chief of Saucer or <laughs> What is it? Chief of Chief Saucer, of saucer <laughs> Operations. <laughs> God damn it. But he has apparently voice recordings of the aliens that he took and put through a computer, a language computer apparently, because that technology exists for some reason. A computer that deciphers alien languages, even though aliens aren't supposed to exist, apparently. Also, the aliens speak English. They do speak English. So why were they sending out messages to Earthlings in a foreign alien language? It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. I tell you, it just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. It just doesn't matter. The general shows the chief of saucer operations these uh, recordings. Apparently the aliens are just saying like, oh... We would like to communicate with you, Earthlings. You you don't think that you guys are the only inhabited planet in the universe, do you? Oh, how stupid can you be? It's like, okay, that's not really a way to connect with people. You're so stupid. So the, the general goes to Edwards, we're going to send you to California, which is where all of the spooky yes. shit is happening. I, I laughed at it because I'm looking at Frankie and go, you were just about to court-martial this man. And now you're sending him on a special mission? Uh, yeah, that didn't... Nothing makes sense, Scott, okay? <laughs> like, literally nothing. Meanwhile, back at the saucer, Eros and Tana... I keep thinking of Tana Mojo. <laughs> oh, yeah, Eros and Tana Mojo. <laughs> he fucked me with a toothbrush! Eros and Tana Mojo are talking <laughs> to their superior about this Plan 9. And as they're talking about it, he mentions, Eros, that they've only raised three people, namely Inspector Clay, Vampire Lady, and the Old Man. So what is this doing? Like, <laughs> it just seems a silly plan to raise three dead people and just have them like skulk around. Like, How is this helping your cause? Well, they brought uh, Inspector Clay to the ship. Oh, yes. Clay, like short circuits, and he starts attacking Eros and, like, strangling him. Well, because they, they mentioned earlier, before they brought them, that their I guess their minds are turned on by electricity. And they are bred for one purpose, and that is to kill unless they are controlled by the electricity. Hannah's electricity gun apparently jams. Raspberry. There's only one man who would dare give me the raspberry. Lone Star! Um, oh, again, as we always do with these bad movies, we keep referencing better movies <laughs> just to remind ourselves that there's fucking greener grass on the other side. So Clay starts going after Eros, and he's like, 
You fool! You fool! Stop him! He's going to kill me! And then Tana drops the gun. It breaks the electric. I don't know. It just stopped it. I don't know. I'm not going to try to explain the science in this. She drops the gun and he stops choking the alien. That's all I'm going to say. Because otherwise, my head will explode. So, after that whole pointless fiasco, Eros' superior says, here's what I want you to do. I want you to get rid of the old man. They don't exactly say why they want him to get rid of the old man, but I'm guessing because he's an old man, he's not strong. Like, I don't know. Yeah. And then I give you permission to raise an army of dead people to attack all of the Earth's capitals. Okay. (laughs) In that same conversation, he says that he just wants the Earthlings to know that they exist. Like, he doesn't say anything about killing them, or like, if he does want to kill them, why he would want to kill them. It's all very vague and weird and unclear. Also, if zombies attack, why would human race automatically go aliens? Yeah, like, that also, (laughs) like, that's the thing, like, when the aliens first come, you get, you're already immediately confused because you already saw the vampire lady walking around, so you think, oh, it's like spooky, spooky stuff. But no, it's also, alien stuff. It's all very muddled and confusing. What a shock. So we go back to Colonel Edwards talking to the Trents. Guess where they're at, Scott? They are at the Lanai? Oh, yeah. They're on the Lanai. And they're talking to Paula and Jeff Trent about the experience with the spooks and the UFO and all that stuff. Meanwhile, right nearby, because again, they live by the graveyard, there's a cop by his car, and the old man, not Bella Lugosi, is slowly <laughs> lumbering towards him with his cape and all. And the cop is just like, oh, ah, and then he runs. And then you cut right to the cop standing on the lanai, being chased by the old man. Everybody's shooting at this fucking old man, and nothing's happening. But then... A shot rings down from the spacecraft by arrows to the old man, and he is exploded, and everybody just, like, looks down, and it's literally a skeleton in a cape. It's a skeleton in a cape. It's a skeleton (laughs) in a cape. It's like a cartoon, (laughs) like... So that is the end of Bella Lugosi. Lugosi is no longer in this movie. As a response to this crazy thing that just happened, that all these people just witnessed, this United States colonel, along with a lieutenant of a police department, decides, okay, we're going to go to the graveyard to figure out what the hell is going on here, but we're going to take the the two civilians with us. And this cop who is now passed out of fear. From an old man slowly shuffling towards him. <laughs> so the whole gang goes over to the cemetery and the guys decide, oh, you know what, Mrs. Trent, you should stay here in the car. What? <laughs> Why did you have her come at all? Yeah, you should, if you were just going to tell her to stay in the car. You should stay here in the car and we're going to leave you with the officer who just passed out the fear. Yeah. And they give Mr. Trent a gun. It's the lieutenant, the colonel, and Mr. Trent 
and they're going off into the woods in search of something. I don't know. I don't even know, like, what they're looking for at this point, because what the fuck? And meanwhile, while they're doing all of this, you just see the vampire lady just skulking around in the fucking trees. Yeah, she doesn't do... She doesn't do anything, much. really, at all. She just kind of stands there and it's like... Hidey, 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 hidey. Hidey, 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 hidey. Hidey, And then walks away. I'm sure $200 is worth it. Well, this was 1959, so she probably bought, like, a great car with that or something. I don't know. So the, the guys go off into the woods, and within, like, five minutes... Clay comes lumbering behind the cop and knocks him out. Doesn't even, like, hit him. Just, like, grabs his shoulders. Like, he, like, he, like pats him on the shoulder. Yeah, like, and he just, oh. like, falls with a big, ah! And then he reaches into the car, and Paula starts screaming, and she passes out, and he picks her up and walks away with her. And while this is happening, the three of them see a light from behind the tree line. Oh, yeah, it's, it's, it's a light from the spaceship. It's not just, like... A flashlight against a bed sheet. <laughs> no. It's really from a spaceship. <laughs> they walk over. They now see the spaceship. They come in. Guns drawn. Yeah. And then this is the part where we get a real dialogue dump of the alien's motivation in this. Mind you, up to this point, the motivation has been changing like the winds every fucking other scene. But in this scene, Eros is having a whole tirade explaining why he wants to destroy humanity. Yeah, so the only line you really need to know is where he goes, You see? You see? You're stupid minds. Stupid. Stupid. He basically says that humankind has created weapons throughout history, and if it is left to continue on, it will make an even more dangerous weapon that will destroy the entire universe. So this is Ed Wood's way of shoehorning in an anti-war message, maybe, kind of. I guess. And then Tana goes, Is it mad that you destroy other people to save yourselves? You have done this. Is it mad that one country must destroy another to save themselves? You have also done this. How then is it mad that one planet must destroy another who threatens the very existence? It just goes on and on for an eternity until we cut to the cop waking up from his fainting spell, you know, and he's called for backup. So this other cop comes and the cop that got knocked out said, Clay, dead Inspector Clay attacked me. We have to go and find him because he took Mrs. Trent. So they go off and they find the spaceship and they see. Inspector Clay holding Paula Trent. The backup cop is like, okay, well, let's shoot him. And the other guy's like, that's not going to work. Bullets don't do anything. So what do they do, Scott? They pick up a stick. <laughs> They're like, we can knock him out with this. All right, you primitive screwheads, listen up. See this? This is my boomstick. So bullets aren't going to do anything but a stick. That'll, that'll teach him. The two cops sneak up behind Inspector Clay, hit him over the head, he drops. But you know what was funny too? When they're about to go and knock him out with the stick, they show Tor Johnson holding Mrs. Trent. He's clearly holding her a lot lower than he was in the previous scene because he knows, oh, they're about to hit me on the head, so I'm going to drop her. 
Eros and Mr. Trent start fighting, hand-to-hand combat. Yeah, and then, I guess because there's a lot of electricity on the ship, a fire breaks out randomly. Tana is trying to take off in the ship while it's on fire, because that'll solve the pro- I don't know. And then meanwhile, the lieutenant and the colonel, instead of, you know, helping the civilian who's in the fight with the bad guy... They run over to the circuit board by the door and try to open the door to escape. And eventually they do so. They open the door and the lieutenant just runs out. Fuck everybody else. Runs out. The colonel turns around and yells to Trent, you better get out of here, Trent. They're trying to take off. And then runs off. So they both leave the civilian. Like, what kind of fucking officers are you? So Trent finally... He, he wins the hand-to-hand combat and knocks Eros out. And he runs off the ship. And the ship takes off. And you see it in the air. The the model UFO on fire. <laughs> it's so bad. It's so bad, but it's so funny. And they keep coming back to, like inside the ship. And she's like... No! Get it, honey. <laughs> Eros isn't here right now. Can you take a message? <laughs> Finally, the ship just blows up. And then as soon as the ship blows up, they look down and they see Tor Johnson's body reduced to a skeleton in a suit. <laughs> They're like, what about the vampire woman? And he goes, oh, I assume she'll be that. Oh, yeah, too. they just assume that she's gone too. Don't even bother looking for her or clearing the area. No. They could have hypothetically, a random sequel of, like, this woman somehow survives. <laughs> that would be fucking great. <laughs> and she's now this lumbering woman who can't be killed by bullets. So that's Plan 9 from Outer Space. Yes. It was definitely a movie. I mean, you can put this, you know, you can officially wear the badge of a, a bad movie lover now, because you've seen the most classic, infamous bad movie of all time. So it ends with a last bit of narration from Criswell, and he says a bunch of obnoxious things in that booming voice of his. He goes, oh, can you really prove that this didn't happen? I, I think we can. <laughs> I think we can, sir. And then he ends on the last line, God help us in the future. Never have I heard a true line. <laughs> but uh, yeah, that's... That's the movie. The critic score for Plan 9 from Outer Space is a 67%. And just for just for y'all listening at home, Phantom Menace is 53%. So Yippee! I will say that you kind of can enjoy the ridiculous charm of it being a so bad it's good. Phantom Menace, it's just bad. It's not even so bad it's good, really. I mean, there are parts that you can make fun of, but it's just mind-numbingly bad. So, Scotty, what would you rate this out of five? Um, I, I'm, I'm probably close to a one. Yeah, I think I have it as one and a half on Letterboxd. It's definitely enjoyable, and it's definitely interesting. I can see why, like, somebody would make an Ed Wood movie basically off this movie. Yeah, it's kind of like, you know, when they did The Disaster Artist, it's like you want to know more about this person and how this person made this movie and like how their mind works so 
that is the conclusion to yet another so bad it's good double feature on uh, Shoot the Flick. Yes, 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 indeed. Next week, we have our Father's Day episode. We do, we do. We're going to be watching a very father-centric movie that Scott's going to introduce me to. Yeah, it's not only is it very father-centric, it, it will actually be our first foreign film. Yeah, I'm excited about that, too. So, get pumped for that. This has been Shoot the Flick, an official Paradoge podcast. I'm Frankie Sparks. And I'm Scott Eisenberg. Make sure you check out our Instagram and Twitter at Shoot the Flick. And check out our weekly episodes every single Wednesday on iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and iHeartRadio, and pretty much anywhere else you can find podcasts. And yeah, make sure you come back next week for our Father's Day episode, guys. I'm excited. Yeah, it's definitely going to be a lot of fun. And watch Plan 9. And... Watch your mind erode slowly. <laughs> yes, join us in their misery because earthlings are stupid. Stupid, stupid! The internet is for poor. The internet is for poor. What are you doing? Why you think the net was born? Born, born, born. Tracky! Oh, hello, kid monster.